Okay, we're going to be talking about the Christian and how it relates, how they relate to the law. And there's going to be plenty in here to offend a lot of people. So get ready to be, hey, I don't agree with that. That stinks or, or whatever. But anyway, this is the way I see this. You don't have to agree with me perfectly, but uh, just bear with me, okay? We're in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20. The Christian and the law of Christ is actually what we're under. Uh, and again, we've been in the Beatitudes. We've been in salt and light. You can stand as we read the Word of God. You can stand. I want to leave a couple people hanging out there. And now, the, the, Jesus is getting into the body of His sermon. Those things were introductory. The Beatitudes were introductory, and the salt and light were introductory. And now we're getting into the body of the sermon. Picking it up in verse 17. Do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God. Oh, you guys are so good. Please be seated. Yes. Our Father, we're so grateful that we can spend time in this Word today. Thank you for the folks that you brought out here. Thank you for the folks on Facebook that are listening. Thank you that we can come and hear the infallible Word of the living God. And Lord, help me to rightly divide this Word of truth. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, things we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised King. And like I said, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapters 5 through 7. We went through the introduction. Now Jesus is getting into the body of his talk. We talked last time about salt and light. And salt and light have to be in contact with their world in order to be effective. Salt, we, we said, was fertilizer. Fertilizer was put on the soil. If you put too much fertilizer on, it can burn it out. It has to be the right amount, the right time, and the right season. And we went over that and over that and over that. And then we are to let our light shine that people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So salt and light was the big thing that we were talking about. Today we're going to be talking about how do Christians relate to the law. And the thing is, is I thought, this would be a question you might ask yourself, I thought we were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and you thought correctly. Yes, you did. This isn't a cult, okay? <laughs> I thought the law was simply for the for the Jews in the Old Testament, we're going to examine that. And I thought the church had no relationship to the law, and we will examine that also. In verse 17 and 18, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now, the, watch this word usage, because I think what Jesus has done here at the beginning of his talk in, in the Beati with the Beatitudes and salt and light, is he has caused some dis uh, dis distress within the people. They're, they're saying, this is not like the Pharisees taught. This is very different than the Pharisees. And Jesus is going to come and say, oh, the, I have not come to change anything that is written in the law. So do not think I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's a big emphasis there. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. Very significant. Jesus saying one jot or one tittle by no means pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. We'll talk about a jot and a tittle in just a few seconds. But some background information. In Judaism, there were 613 laws that you had to keep. And you had to keep them perfectly. And they were divided into three areas. So we'll have a slide coming up here. And it was the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. When you see in Scripture the ordinances... That is referring to the moral law. When you see statutes, that's referring to the ceremonial law. The moral law, I will put my law on their hearts and I will write them on their minds, Hebrews 10.16, which is a quote of Jeremiah 31, the, the, the everlasting covenant. Ceremonial law are the feast days, the holy convocations. These were things that pointed to Messiah. Every feast day has something in it that points to Messiah coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. And civil law is what every society has to keep law in order in it. And the Jewish people had their own civil law. 
So moral law, ceremonial law, civil law. I believe the ceremonial law has been done away with. The civil law has been done away with. The moral law, there's some question about this that we will develop during our talk today. And then you can decide where that, how that impacts your life as we go on. So, remember this. The entire world was under the, the control of Satan. At the Tower of Babel, all the kingdoms of the world had given up worshiping the true God and were worshiping false gods. Remember, they made the ziggurat and they were worshiping anything but the true God. Then God calls a man out of Ur of the Chaldeans named Abraham. And he from Abraham will develop a nation that is going to be his people, the Jewish people. And that people will worship the true God, not the false God. Remember, there's all kinds of false gods. There's all kinds of phony gods. There's all kinds of lower-level Elohim. Powers, principalities, princes of darkness we see in Ephesians chapter 6. These are these, these entities that are in charge of different countries and different areas. We know there's a prince of Greece and there's a prince of Persia in Daniel chapter 10. But the Jewish people are to worship the Most High. And these laws that, that he gave them would separate them from all the nations of the world that they were immersed into. Now, think about this. There, I have another, another slide here talking about God Most High. That is who we worship God Most High. That's who the Jewish people worship God Most High. For you, O Lord, O Yahweh, are Most High, El Elyon, over all, all the earth. You are exalted far above all little teeny Elohims, these little powers and principalities that think they're so big. Oh no, our God, next slide. El Elyon, El Elyon, God most high over all, all the spirit world, all of humanity. That is who we worship. We want to keep that as a very strong focus in our minds today. Israel was, 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 were the only people on earth worshiping the true God. Everybody else was worshiping false gods. Now, again, these laws were to keep them separate from all these phony false gods. The gatekeepers of the law were the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Well, they were a very influential religious sect uh, that, that had all kinds of rules and, and laws that they demanded the people follow. They had, their emphasis was on personal piety, and they added what is called the oral tradition. There were 613 laws, but that wasn't enough. They had to add to that their own interpretation, and they were weighted down, weighted down, weighted down by the oral law in, in their interpretation. They legislated the law. They were the gatekeepers of the law. They were the law enforcers, and they were self-righteous, and they were smug, and they were rigid, 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 and they thought that they were going to get to heaven by being good, and Jesus was going to straighten them right out. Now, the problems for humans regarding the law is follows. Now, please hear this. Indelibly imprint this in your minds. The law is perfect. We are not. <laughs> okay? We are fallen. We are depraved. No human can keep the law perfectly. The law is viewed as a whole. As a whole. Why do I say that? Because the Pharisees had different orders for the law. This one's more important than this one, than this one, than this one. They segmented the law. Jesus said, oh no, every part of the law is important. And number three, the law can condemn, but it cannot save. All world religions, all cults are working their way to God, doing everything that they can to ingratiate themselves to God. Folks, we cannot ingratiate ourselves to God by keeping the Ten Commandments, by being really, really good boy or good girl or something like that, the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, all of Jesus' righteousness was imputed to you. You're as holy and righteous as you're ever going to be in the sight of God when you say yes to Jesus. Now, you work this out in your life in the sanctification process as you're chipping away this old you and become being more conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's phase two of salvation. Think about this. Christianity is not works-based, it is faith-based. 
grace-based, by grace through faith in Christ alone, sola gracia, sola fide, sola Christos in Christ alone. And we are to obey what Jesus taught. And again, the instant you believe, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be. Ever going to be. And all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for me. Now, the moral law does reveal something. It does re reveal the will of God for his followers. The Ten Commandments do have a value and a purpose. And I think it also demonstrates for those who say, oh, this is what God wants me to do. That's what I want it. That's what I'm going to do. I think it demonstrates loyalty to Yahweh over all the other gods of the world, all the other gods of the earth, all the other gods that are striving for your attention. Demonstrates loyalty. The Ten Commandments, folks, are a summation of the moral law. Now, I have a little picture here for you. The tablets of stone. Now, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice how many thou shalt nots you should, you'll have. There's eight in here. Thou shalt not. Now, the law of Christ, which I'm going to emphasize over and over and over, is a summation. It's a different twist, and I'll explain that in just a second on Jesus' view of the law, but he actually sums up these laws in Matthew, Matthew, which we'll discuss later. But thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a, an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. And then there's a whole bunch of thou shalt. Thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, covet, that whole thing. Thou shalt not, over and over. So the law of Moses is thou shalt not. Now, how are Christians to relate to the law today? Think about this. Galatians 3.23 is very specific. The law is called your schoolmaster. It has a purpose, your tutor. And what is that schoolmaster to do? To bring you to Christ. Sinners need a Savior. The law helps you know that you are totally inadequate, that you are depraved, that you cannot make it to heaven on your own, that you need a Savior. So that's what it's depicting. Galatians 2.16 says this. Every, every, every Christian should know this. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now you are good Bible students. You know what justification means. That Christ righteousness has been imputed to you but the law cannot impute any righteousness to you it can only condemn it can never justify take away your sins romans 10 4 for christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes very it's significant statement galatians 3 13 christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law but i thought you said it was perfect it is perfect. It's a curse because it, 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 I can't be saved by it because I can't keep the law. Jesus became a curse for us. All of our sins are placed upon Jesus. That is where our righteousness is, righteousness is not in keeping the law. So Christians again know it is by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved. And that Jesus, notice he said, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. What does that mean? I think that his perfect fulfilling of the law, his righteousness is credited to me the moment I believe. Folks, right now, Christians are under what is called the law of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, 2. So what is the law of Christ? It is the law of love. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, a new command I give you. A new command. Jesus is hours before the cross, okay? A new command I give you. I really want you to focus on this, disciples, and those who come after him, after them. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. In this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we love one another, we will not be devouring one another. In Christendom, that oftentimes happens. We devour people who don't look like us or sound like us or believe exactly the same as us. So love is the biggest thing. And the law of Christ is a summation of the Ten Commandments. 
Watch this in Matthew 22, 36. It says this, Teacher, he's being asked by a Pharisaical lawyer. He's trying to trap him. He says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, watch this, You shall love the Lord your God. Big difference, not thou shalt not, but you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first commandment. Then he says, the second is like it unto it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is very definitely referring to the law of Moses. The first four laws are about God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is what Jesus is talking about. He's actually quoting the Shema. The Shema. Watch this. Hear, O Israel. The next slide. Hear, Shema, O Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, our God, our Elohim. The Lord is one, Echad. Complex unity. And what does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Jesus is quoting that. Jesus' view of the law is very different than the Pharisaical view of the Mosaic law. He puts a twist on it. Instead of you shall not, you shall love. And might I suggest to you, if you shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will not do the thou shalt not. You will thou shalt not have any God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You are not going to kill. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal. That sort of thing. So that's an important thing to remember. When Christians obey the law of Christ, they demonstrate something very, very significant. That they truly love Him. That they truly love Him. They are demonstrating loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to do this, I'm following Jesus. I'm not following any other of these phony gods, any of these false ways. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm united with Him. Love, folks, is an action. Love, folks, is an action, and it is demonstrated. It's not simply words. We overuse the word, I love you, I love you, I love peanut butter and jelly. I love chocolate cookies. I love, I love Deb's chocolate chip cookies. I did love those cookies, yes, or I love Brick's pie. I'm going to have some pie today. He made some great pie, yes. I love, no, that's an overuse. Love is demonstrated. Watch what Jesus says. He clarifies this in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Jesus isn't equivocating here. You can't just take a little bit of Jesus and I'll take what he's going to give me and I'm going to forget whatever he teaches me. Oh no. If you really love him, you will obey his commands. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. Very specific. John 14, 24. Jesus nails it right on the head. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He will not be loyal to me. He will not be united with me. Now look at. Jesus knows that we're fallible. Jesus knows that we cannot love him perfectly. I mean, he realizes that. But remember, it is not perfection. It is direction. We're, we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. This is going to take some time, like your whole life. And you're still not going to get it right. <laughs> you're not going to be perfect until you're glorified. When you get your new body. doesn't happen here. So Jesus is going to make a point on how significant every little part of the law is. Now remember, I said this, the Pharisees graded the law. Oh, this is most important. This is more, most important. But watch what Jesus says. Every jot and tittle is important, will not pass from the law. Watch the little next slide. Uh, I miss this. I'm sorry, Sarah. I messed you up. Every jot and tittle. Uh, a jot, yod, is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. A stroke is a little bitsy piece that's added on. It's like when you make an A in cursive. I don't know if people still do cursive, but 
A and you have a little tail on the end, that would be a tittle. That would be a tittle. Jesus is saying every little detail of the law is important. Pharisees taught something very different. This was new to the people. New to the people. So that's why they're strained at what Jesus is teaching here, that he came to, to fulfill the law. That he came to fulfill the law. So every jot, every tittle is important. Now what is clear to all of us in here today, hopefully, it is clear that no human can keep the law perfectly. Just not, yes, uh-huh, yeah, no, we cannot. Don't think that you can. It is clear our only hope is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's our only hope. It is clear that Jesus is the only Savior. No other world religion has a Savior. Only Christianity. So that makes Christianity the one true world religion. All other religions do not have a Savior. No Buddha, no, no Muhammad, no Krishna, no anything. No Hinduism, all the, all the Hindu Vedas, and all, none of them. None of them. So Jesus came to fulfill the law and bring out the true meaning of the law. Not the rigid weight of heaviness, but the lifting of love. Jesus is the only person who keeps the law perfectly, thereby fulfilling it. And Jesus will explain what God means by the law, not the traditions of the Pharisees. His view is going to be very different. When we get into talking about murder next week, or adultery, or divorce, or taking oaths, he's going to go through about six things. He's going to look at these very differently than the Pharisees looked at it. And he's not going to be liked for that by the Pharisees. In verse 19, he's, he's going, Jesus is going to talk about the importance of the law. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, uh-oh, and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is saying something here that I think is significant. Jesus considers obeying the commandments as very serious. Very serious. Every jot, every tittle, you, you, every, everything is important in the commandments. A true believer knows that the law of the Lord is perfect. To teach, the, teach that the law, law is other than perfect is wrong. Oftentimes, people will say the law has no effect on the New Testament believer. That's called antinomianism. Anti is against, nomios is the law, against the law. No rules. No law, no rules. I think this was discouraged by Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something that has entered into our world today called hyper-grace. Hyper-grace. There is a right view of hyper-grace, and there is a wrong view of hyper-grace. I think the vast majority look at it wrongly. This would be the right view. There will be a slide coming up. The right view, Romans 5.20, where sin increased, their grace superabounded. Superabounded. Hooper, hooper, over and above. Hooper parisio is the word. Parisio, to superabound. Be in excess, be superfluous. Where sin increased and abounded, grace is, God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and the more. And I can tell you that I believe that God's grace superabounds in the Christian's life. He graces us and He graces us and He graces us and He mercies us. And it's like waves of the ocean washing over you over and over and over. God graces us. But I think there's a wrong view of hyper-grace. And the wrong view would be this. People that believe that we are not under the constraints of the law, period. Now those people, can you commit adultery? Can you kill? Can you steal? Can you lie? No, we are under the law. There's, there's some, at some level, we are under the constraints of the law. The wrong view would be this. Believers are not responsible for their sin. The hyper-grace oftentimes implies that you can live any way that you want because you've said the magic words at one time in your life. That is not a proper view of salvation. You can, when we're saved, our whole life has changed. There's been a transfer of kingdoms from darkness into light. And now I am trying to live in a way that is pleasing to my Lord. 
I want to honor him. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me, my father will also love. They'll reveal himself, the whole Godhead, to the believer. Now, a wrong view of hypergrace is this. You really get into it. Anyone who disagrees with hypergrace is pharisaical legalist. You're a legalist. You believe you're bound by law. We're not talking about that. We're talking about pleasing God, honoring God. It's not a weight on us. It's, it's because we love. Remember, it's a law of love. Because I love the Lord Jesus, I have a desire to obey him, a di- desire to follow, follow him, to obey his precepts. Lastly, hyper-grace teachers pervert the grace of God and make it a license for immorality. Jude 1.4 addresses this. Watch what it says. Hyper-grace and lawlessness. For there are certain men who have crept in, crept into churches, crept into your life, telling you something that isn't true, unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God, which is a wonderful, astounding thing, into lasciviousness. This is lewdness, sexual immorality, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Hypergrace and lawlessness. Folks, they don't, don't go together. God still has rules, even though we are under grace. There's still an expectation for the believer. Now, what part of our beings loves the wrong view of hypergrace? My flesh, oh, it just loves that. I can, I'm saved, I've got my ticket, and now I can do whatever I want. Oh, goody, yes, yes, I can just live any way I want. Wrong. That is wrong. We, are, we get saved, we, we're saved in the kingdom of Jesus. We're saved to please Him, to honor Him. What are the hyper-grace folks missing? That there is a battle in the Christian life from the moment you say yes to Jesus There is a battle in your being between your spirit, your born-again spirit, and your flesh. This is a lifelong battle. And I want you to hear this verse. It's it's Galatians Galatians 5.19. It talks about the the works of the flesh. Now listen to this list. Paul has given several lists. This is kind of one of the more alarming lists. He talks about the works of the flesh being evident. Then he goes into this litany of things. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts, self-ambitions, envy, murders, drunkenness. And then he gets out of breath and he says, and the like. He just throws, and the like. And there's more stuff than this. And then he makes this statement. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things, practice such things, if this is your habitual way of life, You cannot say, I love you, Jesus, and be in this list habitually given over to something. You can be in the battle. Believe me, we're all in the battle. You can be in the battle. But you can't say, oh, this is just the way it is. I was just made. My DNA. My DNA loves heroin. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Or gossip. I'm just a gossiper. My mama was a gossiper. Her mama was a gossiper. I'm a gossiper. I can't help that. You know, that is not... Right. God has delivered you from everything. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who think they are in control. Christians may have a season when they are getting into wacky thinking. But if you're really in the family of God, what do you think happens to you? You know that, this answer. You get a licking. You get a licking and keep on ticking. Him whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But, a warning, a lifetime of saying, in in third grade, I said yes to Jesus. And in living absolutely counter to Him for the rest of your life, ignoring His precepts, ignoring His word, indulging every whim of the flesh, and and then coming up with this, I don't care, I said the words, I'm okay, I'm safe. Folks, you are in grave danger. I mean, I don't know where salvation is for that person, only God knows. But all I can tell you, according to the Word of God, if you have a habitual practice that you are given over to and you're not in the struggle, again, we're all, we could have seasons where we just kind of give it up for, for a time, but God will spank you. He'll bring you back in the line. Paul hit this 
false teaching, this hyper-grace teaching, right between the peepers in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or superabound? Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Jesus thought something, folks. He thought that obeying the law was important. And I think it is important for us to obey the law of Christ. Which is an extension, a summary of the Ten Commandments. Verse 20, Jesus and the self-righteous religionist. Now this is for every good guy. Everybody that thinks they're great and wonderful and terrific. And certainly God is going to let me into his kingdom because I'm a good guy and I'm better than those out there. Watch what he says. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now think about that with these people. These people are, are, these scribes and Pharisees are at the absolute upper top echelon of who's righteous and holy in that culture. And Jesus is saying, you, your righteousness has to exceed that. If it doesn't exceed it, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. They must be reeling from this statement. Who can make it? Well, great, you're, you're, you're on the right track. Nobody can make it. You have to have a Savior. You have to give in. You have to say, Jesus, I need you to be my sin bearer, to take all of my condemnation. So, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the legalistic religionists. They put all kinds of religious pretense on the people. Pharisees, listen to this, Pharisees always want to stand out. They always want to be noticed, and they cloak it in good stuff. That is something that a Pharisee does. Pharisees simply are miserable and angry. Watch this. The Pharisees love power, control, and manipulation. This is a Pharisee. Now just look at him. Does he look like he's the least bit happy? And he wants you to be just like him. Just be legalistic, legalistic, legalistic. Burden, 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 burden. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. And you shall do it exactly my way. And they added to the law, and they added to the law, and they added to the law. Now, I want you to think about something else. We are living in a world today where we are going streaking. I believe we're streaking. I've got a fly here that's beating me. Okay, but, And I think it's the same fly that keeps flying up in these lights up here. Well, I'm supposed to be worshiping, but anyway. We are, we, are, we are heading rapidly into globalism. Rapidly. And I don't know if there's anything that can stop this because Jesus said, in the, God said in his word, this is what's going to happen. But I want you to notice that the governments of the world, including the United States, are into more and more power, control, manipulation, and indoctrination. And this is the picture of that. I thought of this so much. I said, gosh, this guy looks just like this. He doesn't look happy either. I want you, power, control, manipulation, indoctrination, they kind of look the same, don't they? It wasn't always this way in our country, was it? It wasn't always this way, but it's kind of changed, hasn't it? Sadly, sadly. Jesus will make an astounding statement to the people. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, impossible to that population, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to ever think about something. Jesus sees everything. Everything. Every little jot and tittle. And I want you to also think about this. For those who think they're Pharisees and they're good guys, for those who think that, oh, my works are going to get me there, they're going to get me points. I'm going to get, no, you aren't getting any points. The only thing that gets you to heaven is grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. We've nailed that one down. Scripture says very clearly, there's none righteous, no, not one. You can have good people, but in the eyes of holiness, it is not righteous. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is none who does good. There is none who seeks after God. God is perfect. God is holy. We are not. We are not. Jesus sees right through the facade. You cannot hide from him. You cannot hide from him. 
Jesus sees the real you. You. <laughs> sobering. Sobering. He knows my motives. He knows my heart. I might be looking like a hypocritical Pharisee, but he knows my innermost being. Folks, the darkness cannot hide you. You cannot hide in the dark and do your thing. Excuses cannot hide you. Blaming cannot hide you. Your religion cannot hide you. Faking cannot hide you. Being with your friends that affirm what you're doing, they can't hide you. The world system that says, hey, do whatever you want, they can't hide you. Sneaking around cannot hide you. And pretending that Jesus isn't real, I'm just not going to deal with that Jesus stuff because that's too convicting. That can't hide you. That cannot hide you. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Absolutely nothing. You cannot be like this little boy in the picture. Oh, I'm hiding from Jesus. He cannot see what I'm doing. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. We cannot hide from God. We cannot. Absolutely pivotal concept. Now, how did Jesus feel about the Pharisees? Well, later on, I don't know when we're going to get into Matthew chapter 23, when it's the woe chapter, it could be sometime next summer, but it's the woe chapter. Watch what Jesus said. He, held, he holds nothing back from dealing with the hypocritical Pharisees, the good guys, the guys that want to control your life. You don't do this. They put weights and burdens on the people. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he repeats this multiple times. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You keep people from entering the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses, make long prayers. And over and over he goes, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then he crescendos. You think that's bad? He crescendos in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. <laughs> you think they get the message. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And then he finishes this section with these words. And you can see what, how he feels about Pharisees and legalism. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Why was Jesus so hard on the Pharisees? Because they were keeping people from him. That's what they were doing. Leading them to hell. This infuriated Jesus. Closing thoughts. You think we're going to be done early, don't you? <laughs> I got something for you. Yeah. The law in the Christians, folks, is a hotly debated topic. Now, you might have agreed with some of the things I've said, might have disagreed with them. That's up, that's fine. You can do whatever you want with that. But I can tell you, I believe that extremes should be avoided. No law, antinomianism, against the law, totally disregarding the law, hypergrace and sin with impunity is to be discouraged. And overfocus on the law and legalism is to be discouraged. And I think what we need to do as the body of Christ is to do this. Simply follow what Jesus taught and you will be on solid ground. Let me say that again and then you say amen, okay? <laughs> Simply follow what Jesus taught and you will be on solid ground. Amen. Okay, good. That's a very good, appropriate place for an amen. You'll be on solid ground. The law of Moses was for the nation of Israel, specifically for them, to be different than the cultures around them. Jesus was a Jew, and he kept the law perfectly, and he fulfilled the law. Jesus summed up the moral law. We have to deal with this in Matthew 22, 37, and 39. Love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He says, love God, love people. First four of the Ten Commandments, last six of the, last six of the Ten Commandments. So, we are now, folks, plead... Please hear this. We are now under the law of Christ. Again, Galatians 6.2, which is a summation of the law of Moses with a twist. Thou shalt not wait and heavy to thou shalt love. Big difference. Big difference. And again, 
What is the law of Christ? John 13, 40, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And this way all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Pharisees' interpretation of the moral law was devoid of love. It was about control and power and manipulation. Jesus changed this dramatically. Dramatically. Jesus will challenge the Pharisaical interpretation of the law. They added to the law, the oral law, and they put weights and burdens on people. But Jesus lifts the weights off with his law of love. When we love, we fulfill the law of Christ. Let me ask you a question here. Talking about love. What is love? What is agape love? Well, there's four, actually there's five types of love, but on this slide I have four. There's storge love, the love that we have with family members. There's philia love, friendship love. Folks, this was Jonathan and David. Friendship love. Eros love, a love between couples. This is sexual love. And then agape love is the uncommon love that God has. Look, we might pretend that we agape people, but folks, we're mostly these. We're mostly these. This is a God thing. Now, we want to strive and we, we want to draw closer to Jesus. We can't strive to do anything, but as we go closer to Jesus, we pull this off a little bit more. But folks, we're housed in this depraved flesh, and it's hard to pull off agape love. Agape love is benevolent love. It's a direction of the will, meaning choosing to love the unlovable. That is not normal. Agape love is not doing what the recipient of love desires. Now hear this definition. But giving the recipient what they need. What do we often hear with manipulative love or toxic love? We hear this. If you loved me, you would do this and fill in the blank. If you loved me, you would do this, fill in the blank. Folks, the giving God agape humanity. The giving God gave what humanity did not want. He gave them a savior. They wanted a king. He came to his own and his own received him that in John 1.11. And God agaped the world and says, oh no, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you the best gift that I can possibly give you. I'm going to give you what you need, a savior to save you from your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God agaped the world. The giving God gave us what we needed. I want to close with an example of an inappropriate way to use the law. The year was 2000. The television program was the West Wing. Martin Sheen was President Bartlett, and he was talking to a Christian named, named Gina Jacobs. The writers of this show were very astute in the way they impugned Christianity. De impugned, degraded, or downgraded Christianity. Watch what happened here. You probably remember the episode. Now, it's been a long time. That's like 21 years. Now, your brain might, it might not all fire, but let me bring back some memories here. President Bartlett says this, I like your show. I like how you call homosexual an abomination. The subject is, uh, is homosexual as a sin according to the Bible. Dr. Jacobs, I, don't, I didn't say homosexual is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. President Bartlett says, oh, yes, it does in Leviticus. And she says, oh, Leviticus 18.12. And he says, oh, chapter and verse. You have the chapter and verse. I want to ask you a couple questions, Dr. Jacobs. I want to ask you these questions. He says, I'm interested in, he says this, I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian. She's great, always cleared the table. When it was her turn, oh, she's such a wonderful person. What would a good price for her be? What is President Bartlett doing impugning the word of God? If you read in Exodus chapter 21.7 in, in verses there, it's the law concerning slaves and servants. And the law concerning slaves and servants, God was watching out for the slaves and the servants. 
He was making provision for them. President Bartlett doesn't tell you this. The writers don't tell you this. All they want to do is impugn the Scripture. Now, most Christians didn't have a clue on how to deal with these, these questions. It goes on. While thinking about that, can I ask you another one? He, he machine guns her. My chief of staff, Leroy McCrary, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2. Clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police and have them do it? Now, what is he missing? President Bartlett is, Moses has just come down from the mountain. He's gotten all the instructions from God on the Ten Commandments. He's got all the instructions on the tabernacle, on how everything is supposed to run. And he tells the people that you must honor the Sabbath day. You must honor it to keep it holy, to separate you from all the foreign gods of the world. And God has it so serious about this that he doesn't want you to be polluted with the other gods. There's going to be a high consequence if you don't keep this. He's protective. All of God's laws provide for and protect his people. It's an extension of his love for his people. He doesn't want his people to be involved with gods that are going to take them away from the true God. That is what he's dealing here. President Bartlett doesn't tell you this. And the world is jumping up and down, elated by President Bartlett. Here's another one, really important. Sports fans. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. These are dietary laws. Specific for the nation of Israel, not for us, not for the other nations. Israel. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? These are agricultural laws. And I burned my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made by two different threads. He's conflating all these ceremonial, agricultural, civil laws, and he's not addressing the moral law. The ceremonial, civil, agricultural, dietary laws for the nation of Israel. The moral law has been extended to us today. Jesus extended that in the Matthew teaching. So, what President Bartlett cannot escape is that we are all under the moral law. Everyone, I don't care what you believe about the moral law, knows that you shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And on and on it goes. You shall have no other God. You know that intuitively in your heart. Why do you know that? Because God has written his law in your heart. I'll say that more in just a second. There is no escape clause from the moral law. It still condemns, it's still perfect, and it still cannot save. Now, I didn't put this in your notes because it was a late entry. But listen to this. The moral law is revelatory. What do I mean by that? It, it reveals to us the will of God. It's regulatory. It helps regulate our lives. But it is not redemptive. It cannot save you. People need a Savior to be saved by grace through faith. The 21st century ignores God. Total ignoring of God. Like He doesn't exist. All of humanity are without excuse because God has written His law on the heart of every human in this world. Every human knows from, from the biggest cities down to the little tiny islands that you don't take your neighbor's wife, you don't take his spear, you don't take his food, you don't take his this or that, you don't lie. It's indelibly imprinted into every single human heart. The work of the law is written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Every human knows this. This is important. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. In doing so, Jesus gave something of great value, the law of Christ. And remember, all of God's laws provide for, protect, and are an extension of His love. Love God first and your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. Paul on the importance of love is in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is Love, Christian, Christian, love God, love people, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
The law of Moses is filled with you shall not. The law of Christ is filled with you shall love. Big difference. Big difference. Final slide. Jesus' greatest commandment. You shall love. You shall love. First of all, the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. A full, all-out commitment that Jesus expects the Christian to have for their God. The second is like it. Like it unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Lord Jesus saves. Love God. Love people. That's the law of Christ. You shall love. God and your neighbor. And it's binding today as Christians. For you, Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are far above all gods. When we obey the law of Christ, we are exalting Christ above all other gods. Little Elohims. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. It's the inerrant word of God, the living God. Father, we are here to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I'm praying that that happen today. I know this is a controversial area. The Lord, we know, we can't, we're, this is no controversy here. We are under, under the law of Christ. It's not controversial that, law, that Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments. That is not controversial. It's very clear. And that the law of Christ frees us from the weight and the burden of the law and gives us something very special, the law of love. If we love Jesus with all of our heart, then we will love people. Help us to do that, Lord. We, the unlovable, must love the unlovable like you love the unlovable. That's agape love. I cannot do that in my normal person. I'm very conditional. Help me to be more like you, Jesus, and less like me. That's all I can say. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence. And may we live in such a way that is pleasing to our God. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.